The idea that, you know, somewhere between 30 and 50% of your real estate floor print is dedicated to inventory when you could take 100% to building the experience and ship whatever you need to do within, you know, 24 hours to that customer, depending on the product, seems like a more logical understanding of how to use that real estate as a full experience. The consumer mindset has changed, yet we intuitively know that consumers have a desire to get back to something that feels normal. That's why in this series of episodes, we're looking at the future buying journey. What does normal look like to the post-pandemic consumer? In this context, what needs to change so we're prepared for our new customer journey? And what must we do to be ready for the next growth cycle? I'm Tizzy Philp, and I'll be speaking to a whole host of guests from the Valtec Future Studio team to talk through their insights, impressions, and reactions to this new era of customer experiences. We'll be talking connected experiences, the concept of the dynamic store, whether there's actually some pleasure in the friction we're all trying so hard to remove, and the need to mimic physical interactions in a believable way, as well as so much more. So let's get started. In today's episode, I'm very happy to be joined by Shannon Ryan, who is Executive Vice President for North America at Valtech. And Shannon, maybe we'll start with a, a more detailed introduction from you on who you are. Sure. Busy. Thanks. So Shannon Ryan, EVP North America for Valtech, probably one of the senior statesmen of the world of digital these days, uh, started my career back in 1995, building a digital agency when, you know, the early days of the information superhighway. These days for Valtech, I spend a lot of time with executive teams, both in the B2B and B2C world, helping them think through, strategize, and try and understand this amazing world of digital and the implications on their business. So uh, a very privileged position to be in, one that provides me a lot of opportunity to be exposed to some really great ideas and uh, hopefully be able to pass that along to all of our clients. So happy to be here. Great. And our listeners as well, who hopefully are some of our clients, but let's see how, let's see how we get on. Absolutely. So we're, we're obviously talking about the future of the buying journey. We're working on this first storm for Valtech Future Studio, mm -hmm. looking all about the customer experience thinking about the ways that the consumer mindset has changed, how we need to adapt the customer journey, how our clients are responding to what's happened recently. And we've brought you on because uh, it felt like a, a great time to speak to you about the evolution of customer behavior and, and something that you've got a lot of experience in. So let's kick off from the start and talk about how has the pandemic changed B2C customer behavior? You guys always start off with such a loaded question. It's a big um, one. It's one of those questions that I've really wrestled with in a variety of different ways, because as I'm sure many of your listeners feel, it's still ongoing. Yeah, it's still, you know, a lot of the conversations now are, how does that customer experience change in the post-pandemic world? And first off, I feel like we might be deluding ourselves by talking about a post-pandemic world. I don't know if we're ever going to get back to a post-pandemic anything. This is something that we are going to wrestle with as a society for a long time in different ways, in different sort of peaks and valleys. 
and you know, I think the implications of what we collectively have gone through as a society in this past year and a bit can't be underscored. I think it was Malcolm Gladwell who said, you know, it takes 10,000 hours to, to form a habit or to master a skill. Well, we're rapidly approaching that as a collective society of, of 10,000 hours within the world of a pandemic society. And that's to master something. So I think the implications of what we've gone through are going to be far reaching on all aspects of, of what we do um, in the world of digital. The other thing I would add is that we talk customer experience all the time, and I think we need to pull those two words apart. The customer has changed, and the experiences those customers are looking to have have changed as a result of the acceleration of the world of digital in these last 12, 15 months. And it's been really fascinating to watch the winners and losers, if you will, in corporate retail in particular, try and navigate that changing landscape because uh, it's been a very challenging 14 months on all aspects. And yet, undeniably, there are huge winners within this group uh, of certain categories and certain companies who have been exceptional in how mm. they've handled things. And how would, you, how would you distinguish between the winners and the losers at the moment? And have you seen that the winners have fallen into one category more than another? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you can tease this apart a couple of different ways. I think in terms of categories uh, within the world of retail, certainly there have been winners. Um, grocery comes to mind mm. immediately where, you know, anyone in that category has been on a rocket ship ride relative to the playbook they probably drafted at the end of 2019, right? With regards to their digital evolution it would have been a nice, slow and steady ramp to the right. That playbook went out the window probably around March and April for most of those categories. Um, anyone in home fitness, uh, you know, your Peloton, the rest of those have gone on a similar journey. I think where we've seen brands fall down is I think the pandemic was a very strong litmus test, if you will, for the authenticity of a brand. And I don't think we should diminish, especially here in North America, that, that we didn't just go through a pandemic in the last 12 months. We went through a massive amount of societal and cultural evolution, be it from the Black Lives Matter and the killing of George Floyd, be it to the divisiveness of the past administration and what happened on Capitol Hill, those things are going to be sticky in the collective consciousness of consumers moving forward. And they've changed so many things moving forward that we will need to consider as we continue to map the world of, of digital retail in particular. I really like that you use that that term stickiness. I saw a, another report from I think it was a McKinsey report mm -hmm. who said behavior changes are not linear and their stickiness will depend on satisfaction of the new experiences and that's so important isn't it? These things are only going to remain sticky or become sticky and hang around if the experience matches what's what's required, right? But but I would even say not only 
matching the expectations as you think about it in the digital journey, but also think about it in the in broader sort of societal terms, right? There was a study I read that, you know, we I think collectively did this march towards a more localized shopping circle, if you will, right? We shop local, we shop more closely, but we also really felt back to the comment about the authenticity of brands. And there was a study out that, you know, the current generation, Gen Z, millennials, et cetera, are 80% more likely to purchase something if they believe in the authenticity of that brand, if they believe in the societal impact of what that brand stands, if it has a broader social message. And I think, you know, trying to, to put together all of these chess pieces, if you will, on a board to then form a strategy to say, this is how we're going to go forward in a quote, post-pandemic world, or even whatever 2021, 2022 is going to look like, is an incredible daunting task for the management teams in all of the businesses that we engage. You said at the start there that we had to break this down into two things. We have to break this down into changing customer expectation and the experience itself and how can we deliver an experience that actually gets you up and into a store because we've all developed this behavior now haven't we where it's so easy to sit online and do everything and get everything that we need online that what is it that's going to get us up out of our seats and we talked a lot about this pre-pandemic you know before any of this happened we were talking about the importance of the physical store how it needed to become a place um you know a destination in its own right so this was already happening the pandemic has added an, an additional layer of complexity on top of that problem but before we go into that in more detail let's let's really focus in on this difference between changing customer expectation and the experience so let's go to the changing customer expectation what are the key things you've seen there's a couple of different elements of that Tizzy, I think that are interesting. I think to your point, I think the pandemic has essentially provided an accelerant to the fire of digital. And from a customer standpoint, I think the rising halo of expectations of the omnipresence, if you will, mm -hmm. of what a brand or even a retailer should be able to glean, intuit, sense, understand, to help you fulfill your expectation of what you want to do as a consumer has increased tenfold in the past 12 months. There is little room for retailers not to be able to stitch together the world of physical retail, digital retail, social commerce, social community in one cohesive profile of who I am as a consumer to be able to serve my needs. Now, arguably, it's a bloody unrealistic expectation that the majority of people have for many retailers to achieve that. There's just, mm -hmm. there's just no way that they can get there in the amount of time that the expectation from a consumer anticipates that to happen. Mm -hmm. So I feel for them on that side. That said, it is going to be a massive divider between winners and losers in terms of those who are moving in that direction versus those. 
And Shannon, how, how, just to interrupt there, how much yeah. of that do you think comes down to budget? Because if we look at what we've done with, for example, Mac Cosmetics, mm-hmm. we're assuming that every retailer has the budget, the scope, the ability, the resources that someone the size of Mac Cosmetics has to be able to deliver that experience really well. And if it's not delivered really well, then it's going to have an even more of a detrimental impact, right? You can't do it half-assed, so to speak. You have to deliver it completely or not at all. So how much does budget and resources come into it here? I'm going to give you a consultant's answer, which is (laughs) somewhat. And the reason I say that, uh, Tizzy, is that a phrase I use a lot with my customers when I'm in meetings is, with a checkbook and electricity, we as Valtech can build you anything. The hard part is to figure out what you want to build. And by that, I mean the prioritization of what you want to tackle is almost more important than the budget you have. Let me try and explain that a little bit more. There is no lack of opportunities in front of retailers in terms of what they can do. They can focus on social, they can focus on mobile, they can focus on customer engagement through better CRM linkage. They can, like, there's no lack of things to try and tackle. However, you will almost guarantee failure if you try and tackle all of them at once. Mm -hmm. And it's when you tackle them all at once that you end up with these bloated budgets um, that seem insurmountable and therefore, you know, seem like it's impossible to succeed versus a very, not structured, but disciplined approach to how you want to build out a roadmap that is, some of it needs to be focused on what I would call block and tackling, making sure you do the things you need to do to check off the boxes of minimum digital viability in terms of your customer expectations. And a portion of your budget needs to be set aside for experimentation, testing, and analysis. Mm -hmm. And really running almost with what Gardner used to call a two-track, you know, IT, but sort of a a dual stream of incrementally getting better on the pillars of digital, while at the same time having a curious mindset, if you will, to what is possible, what's coming, and where you want to be as a brand or as a retailer. Now, the challenge with that is that I think one of the other major shifts that happened in the previous 12 to 14 months has been an increase in the muscle memory of executive teams around the word agility, around flexibility, around pivot. And those companies that have succeeded have been very good at being able to sense information, disseminate information, figure out what to do with it, and then put together a very cohesive plan to move their business forward. And some of them almost, you know, godlike have been able to do that in anticipation of some of this. For example, Nike, I think, has done a phenomenal job in navigating waters. Their messaging has been bang on. Their brand has continued to echo the ethos, if you will, of what that product stands for. Mm. But the digital infrastructure and plumbing that they have put in over the previous couple of years has bared fruit at a time when others dropped off 
And they were able to pick it up and run the ball farther than most ever would have thought because they had this digital foundation. Such an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? You kind of get to this point now where you wonder what is driving what? Because is it customer behavior that's driving digital transformation, digital evolution, or is it this amazing amazing investment that's gone into digital, this amazing focus that's been in digital. You know, we talk about the fact that in the last year, we've seen, what, 10 years worth of innovation, you know, from, mm-hmm. from this focus that's been applied on it. What's driving what, do you think? Is this, is this digital, the, the capabilities, the availability of digital, the possibilities available to customers through digital, now that customers are aware of this, they're demanding more and more and more, or is it the customer behavior that's still putting the pressure on companies to change their digital means? Do you see where I'm coming from? It's a very fine line, but you wonder who's, who's driving who now? Yeah, I, I think you're way smarter than I am, Tizzy. I don't know. I think that there was already a reckoning taking place in the world of retail before the pandemic. There was no doubt about it. There were hundreds of articles talking about this sort of the the end of retail. Now, again, as I as I started off chatting with you, I said I'm somewhat of a senior statesman in the world of retail. I went through the first waves of, you know, digital back in the mid to late 90s when brick and mortar was going to go away completely and everything was going to go. Well, that didn't turn. Um, but I think we are seeing truly a shift in the the tectonic plates of what it means to be a retailer that is precipitated by the functionality of digital. And by that, I would mean that the role of a store forever is changed. Mm. You know, a store historically was primarily about inventory and transaction. It was your ability to pick up an item at a store, purchase it, and leave. And what's happened because of the acceleration of digital and just digital in general is the fulfillment side of a retailer happens in a multitude of channels now. And you couple that with the increasing flexibility and capabilities of delivery networks. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can you can get whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want, almost universally. So what it's done is challenge the retail to come up with a reason to figure out why would someone go to a physical? And I think on that point, I think executive teams and leadership and the you know, sage lead wisdom of all digital, I think we're all still trying to figure that out. We're trying to come up with, you know, mimicry, if you will, of physical spaces. So VR, AR that, you know, puts you into a physical store and allows you to do it digital. Well, that just feels hokey on a whole bunch of levels. I think we haven't figured out how to take the idea of shopping separate from the idea of fulfillment and transaction, Mm. which is if I know what I want, I don't need to go to the store. If I don't know what I want, or I don't know if I even want anything, but I want to have an experience. The human experience. 
correct yeah. in some way, then how do I create a physical space as a retailer that provides entertainment, enlightenment, education, whatever it is about my products that might make it feel appealing for a potential customer to come to. One of the things that we at Valtech have been talking about, as you know, Tizzy, we do a ton of work in the world of theme park and, and that physical experience of a theme park. And one of the things that we're starting to do is to transfer some of that domain knowledge from theme park world to retail world, because we feel there's some really interesting parallels. And one of them is a really subtle one, which is simply about the nomenclature or the, the, the word choice that you use. As you know, in theme park, there's no such thing as a, a client or a customer. It's a guest. And they talk about guest experience. And I think retailers need to start to think about their customer set as guests. And by that, I mean, it's someone who comes in more than once. It's someone who is treated in a different way to an experience uh, that you have that is much less about transaction and fulfillment and more about that experience. So to take us back to this idea of customer experience, those two words, the customer mindset has changed tremendously and continues to evolve. And the idea of what that experience needs to be, I think, is still rapidly evolving. It's a great time to be in our world because it's going to be you know, a fascinating journey for the next five to 10 years. And I think we're going to look back and see this really was one of those inflection points where a lot of stuff changed. I think that experience, uh, the human experience part is such an interesting one and one that I've thought about a lot as well, because you know, for me, from a personal perspective, if I'm going shopping, if I'm going into the high street, if I'm going to a shopping center, whatever it might be, I'm not just doing it to go into the stores necessarily, you know, I'm there for the people watching. Yeah. I'm there for the opportunity to spend time with my husband or my best friend or whoever it might be. It's, it's kind of a vehicle to an experience in itself, isn't it? And it kind of, there has to be a way that if, if everything is going to stick online, how can you yeah. replicate that? And how can you make that a thing? And should we even make that a thing? You know, if you well, think of, I was just going to say, if you think of the yeah. pandemic, you know, the fact that people have been isolated, people are craving when we are able to be together again and, and spend time together again, there's going to be this very fine line between everyone wanting to be in a physical space and feel safe and wanting to actually hide in this new comfort zone that we've all created yeah. of shopping online. Well, there, there's so much fascinating discussion we can have about this, Tizzy. I, I totally agree. I think, I think as someone who built, you know, just a ton of websites over 20 years for companies and clients and things like that, we used to always say, and we still say it to a certain extent, content is king. Yeah. Right. I'm not so sure that that's the right C word. I think community is the key. If you think about someone like Lululemon, who is taking their space and is using it as uh, a drop-in center for you know, yoga classes, for education, for learning, for speakers. And the products are there, but, but the space is multi-purpose. 
And it is drawing you there because you have a like-minded interest. You can go with your girlfriend or your partner or whoever. You, you can in, do something at the same time as that retail experience engulfed. And I think there's a lot of really interesting parallel applications of that that I think we're going to start to explore as we see the space less about inventory and transactions and more about theater, education, experience, community, and the flexibility of taking really highly valuable high street type rent and using it as a storage depot to ship your product seems insane. Mm-hmm. It seems crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Right? The idea that, you know, somewhere between 30 and 50% of your real estate floor print is dedicated to inventory when you could take 100% to building the experience and ship whatever you need to do within, you know, 24 hours to that customer, depending on the product seems like a more logical understanding of how to use that real estate as a full experience. I heard you say in, a, in another interview, and it's exactly the, the same here, see stores less as a fulfillment space and more yeah. as a usage of, with a flexible footprint. And I think that's so true. Especially given you know, how we're going to, you, know, you take chain stores in particular, where they have five and 10,000 stores, where they're in highly desirable high streets or main streets or whatever, that's pricey real estate to dedicate to stock shelf. When you can do that in a warehouse drop ship, 24 hour, 10 hour, one hour type delivery mod, that I think is, is, is probably where we're trending. We have seen some real success stories, though, haven't we, off the back of this? If we think about things that maybe we weren't expecting to to drive as much uh, sales or traction as they have done, things that will probably end up sticking beyond the pandemic, if and when the pandemic ever ends. Buy online, pick up in store. Yep, absolutely. Not going away. Yep, yep. Influencer content. What's your take on the power of influencers? And I guess let's talk about Instagram here in particular. Yeah, I mean, I think... If I was a much smarter human being, I would have saw the power of Instagram in that retail category much earlier than I did. Um, but there's no doubt about it. It has become an incredibly powerful juggernaut in the world of retail and influencer and exposure of brands in situ or in context. And I think there's the nut that they crack, which is they were able to put promotional content and retail content in the context of a broader story. And it seems natural. And also in a human format as well. Again, going back to that, you're much more likely to buy something of someone that you admire or follow or look at versus something that's clearly marketing speak. Well, and again, Tizzy, I you know, go back to what we talked about earlier uh, in our chat around you know, this idea that we're all getting a little smaller in our circles. We're, mm. we're, we're dealing with interacting with people on our, you know, weekly Zoom call where we're having a beer and we're, we're feeling that need to feel connected. And I think that influencer content that's come out has, you know, this is a bit of a social science answer, but it's really captured, I think, the zeitgeist of how people are feeling. It's made them feel connected somehow to the world. Yeah. And 
whether it's retail therapy at the end of the day and you know might not have the power of stickiness that we think it will it's no doubt not going one last thing that i want to talk to you about which i'm wondering how you see developing or sticking or getting rid of or companies having to change uh, things up a bit you now see in a lot of physical stores the same kind of idea that ikea had which is to guide people through the store in a very strategic way. <laughs> and now that's common, commonplace, right? Every, whether it's a supermarket or whether it's a... a Home Depot. Like a, yeah. yeah, Home Depot. I was going to say B&Q, but it's, a, it's the same yeah. as Home, Home Depot, I guess. What, what difference do you think that's making? Do you think that's something that's going to hang around? Has, have they been able to pick up, have retailers been able to pick up, you know, opportunities through driving people through their stores in that way? I certainly go up and down more aisles than I used to. Yeah, I think I think there's a couple things that have happened in the physical layout of the store that are going to be interesting to watch in the next 12 months. I think one of the things that is a plus as a retailer is I think collectively we've become a little bit more open to the idea of checking in because they need to monitor the numbers and the look for sort of crowds and choke points and other such things and this idea that you check into a store and have more of a guided experience, I, I think will stay for some places and maybe go for others. But I think it's, 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 there used to be, I think, a real hesitancy in that in people. And I think that it might be one of the you know, passive benefits of the pandemic for some retailers that they're able to glean a little bit more customer intel from that process. Mm. I think the other thing that's interesting is just the physical layout of the store is is going to change in a multitude of ways depending on the the life cycle of the pandemic and what we're dealing with. I I spoke previously about this this concept of the third space. The idea that, you know, work is one space, home is another and then third space was sort of where you went to gather and and feel connected and part of a community and brands like Starbucks or or mm. your your coffee shop were purposely built to be that third space where they specifically designed the comfy couches and the chairs for little nooks and crannies to be able to sit with your your friends, your colleagues, your family and enjoy that third space. And what's happening now is I think we're seeing a transition to less focus on that third space as being a physical space occupied by a retailer. And so mm-hmm. brands like Starbucks are rapidly thinking through how they change their physical store footprint to be more reflective of a transient customer, grab and go counters, quick serves, digital apps with pickup windows. And the implications on that organization and many like it to rethink how they orientate and build out tens of thousands of stores is a monumental decision. Yeah. And I, I, they're not alone. There's multitudes of retailers and brands that need to start to think about, does the physical store, which again is, is in many cases a reflection of the brand promise, is the reflection of the authenticity of the brand, does it need to evolve or can it stay the same as we ride out the next 12 to 24 months of whatever this you know, life cycle of the pandemic and changing customer evolution is going to look like? 
I'm really glad you brought that up because we have another conversation within this same series, which is all about this dynamic store concept and what yes. can we do yeah, with Jeremy. Yeah. yeah, with Jeremy Dimester. How can the physical store be transformed? How can we work with data to transform the store overnight? How can we reposition stock? How can we sort inventory in a way that is much more responsive to trends, data, influencer content, whatever it might be? That's yeah. going to be a really fascinating conversation. But well, we talk about how you used to go in a store and the you used to be about how you interacted with the store, right? How you connected to the Wi-Fi and you did something. Now it's about how the store interacts with you, how the store senses it knows who you are, it knows what you've purchased before, it knows what you've looked at online, knows what you've you know commented on in social. Mm. And then you get a much more tailored or guided sort of engagement experience as you move through that physical location. Mm. It'll be a super exciting. Um, and a delicate balance act between yeah, charming privacy. and not alarming. Yes. Yeah, charming. I love that. Charming and not alarming. But that's exactly right. And is that going to solve the problem of getting people yep. into the store? Or is it going to terrify them even more? Exactly. So then we need to kind of round up this conversation because we are we are on our time. But you know, we brought you in to talk about the evolution of customer behavior. I think we've done. I think we've done that. I think we've talked about some of the trends that we've seen accelerated over the last year. Another phrase that has been wildly overused over the last 12, 18 months of you know acceleration, acceleration, new normal, unprecedented. I'm trying to remove all of those from yep. my podcast in future. But we've Good definitely luck. talked. <laughs> definitely talked about the things that we think are going to stick. The fact that we need to break this down into the customer expectation and the experience itself, this fine balance between online and offline behavior and how can we make sure that we're injecting the human back into it as well. In this time where we've been stripped of all human contact, there is going to be a real craving for, for bringing humans and our natural human behavior back into, into this process as well. What would you say would be the things that you'd leave retailers with at the end of this conversation? Retailers, big or small, whether they're grocery, retail, whatever segment they might be within, would there be one or two pieces of advice that you might give to them about how to approach the coming months if they haven't already started a transformation? What should they look at first? Be comfortable in chaos. I do not believe that the next 12 months is going to be a linear journey. That the one thing that hopefully from a business standpoint that the pandemic has taught many of us is our need to be flexible, our need to throw away the playbook that you thought was going to be the playbook and really listen to your customers, to try and do everything you possibly can to have a real understanding of the needs, wants, and friction points of your customers such that you can guide your prioritization of how you're going to make decisions move. And you cannot get distracted by the shiny squirrel, as I say. You need to stay very focused on the block and tackling parts of your business, and then remain open to something completely revolutionary because that is how you're going to level up down the road. Shannon, thanks so much for joining us and for talking us through all of that. A really fascinating conversation and so many interesting uh, data points that are going to come out of the next over the next few years, right? 
It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Speak to you soon. Yep. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the latest episode from Valtec Cafe. You can find out more about the Valtech Future Studio and the amazing work they're doing to bring together pioneering research and insights, strategic planning, human-centered design, and emerging technology in an innovative way that transforms businesses at futurestudio.valtech.com. We've got a great lineup of Valtech Cafe content set to come your way this year, so make sure you subscribe to get the latest digital insights straight to your favorite channel. Until next time. Thanks for listening.